Well, good morning. This is a little bit more compliant group than I just experienced at March Street. I mean, I, I, I had to like run up and down the aisles getting them to stop, you know, having fellowship with one another. So, but uh, I always, it's always difficult to, to interrupt that. Good morning again. My name's Mike Capaldi. For those of you who don't know me, it's nice to meet you. Um, as you probably heard during the prayer time, the pastors and elders are away at a retreat. So we hope that they are um, enjoying their time of planning and praying. And I hope they're playing a little bit too, don't you? I hope they're having a little bit of fun. Um, but Pastor Tim called me maybe five, six weeks ago. And um, he said, he told me about the retreat and that they needed somebody to help give the message. And of course, I was, I was glad to do so. It was almost an immediate yes. And he told me they were starting a new series. And I said, well, what's the series that you're starting? He said, it's a series on giving. And I swallowed really hard and I said, oh, okay. But um, nonetheless, I was, I was excited to do it. Uh, in fact, as we now move into uh, our, this fourth part of our series called Generous Hearts and Open Hands, you know, I couldn't help but reflect a little bit on how it might be a challenge if you're a pastor that's paid by the church and you're giving the message on giving. You know, I think, I think all of us could have some empathy with how difficult that might be. Um, and certainly, what might even go through our minds just because of our flesh when we come under the teaching about giving, right? But I'm so thankful that we have strong teaching here and that they don't shy away from the hard, difficult teaching and they give it to us consistently on a weekly basis. So I certainly don't want to interrupt that today. All right. So as I said, we're in the series called Generous Hearts and Open Hands. How many of you have been with us for maybe at least one, maybe two, or all three? Have you been for, for a few of these? Excellent, excellent. And so I have a question for you as you kind of reflect upon the teaching up to this point. My question is, what has God been teaching you about your generosity through this series? What has God's Word been teaching you about your own generosity through this series? And as you ponder that and reflect upon it yourself, let me just do a very quick review of the first three parts of the series before we get into today's, which is focused on the equity of generous, of generous giving. Well, we remember part one. This was three weeks ago. We heard about the challenge of generosity, the challenge of generosity. This came to us by way of the book of Malachi when the Israelites were not honoring God with their sacrifices. You remember, in fact, he accused them of robbing him with their sacrifices. And he put a challenge to them and he said, give me the sacrifices that are due for my glory and I will bless you. I will bless you in the coming age. And so he put that challenge to them. Maybe, maybe that week you thought about your own generosity. Is it what it could be? Or maybe even taking a similar challenge from God and extending yourself to see the richness and the glory that he can give to you. Well, the second part of the series, the week later, we learned about the joy of generosity. The joy of generosity. Remember, this was the example of David, of King David, when he in First Chronicles, donated all of the gold and the silver and the, 
the gems for the building of the temple. And so that giving had a purpose behind it, but it was also sacrificial, and it was contagious for those around him. So maybe, maybe that caused you to reflect upon your own generosity. What's the purpose for it? Does it have a target? Is it sacrificial? And as importantly, is it contagious? Is it contagious to those around you? And then lastly, last week, and we're going to pick up on the same book this week, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, where he talked to them about the grace of generosity, the grace of generosity, and he highlights the Macedonian church, which you recall was a church that was quite poor and had meager resources, and yet they begged Paul to be able to give and bless others churches in the area because they had the motivation, the devotion, and the dedication for generous giving. So perhaps you've reflected on your own generosity and and have been encouraged. Even when it might have been difficult for you to be generous, you were faithful and that teaching encouraged you. I certainly hope that's the case. Well, as we move into our fourth installment of this series. I think that there are six of them, if I'm not mistaken, six or seven. As I mentioned earlier, this one's titled The Equity of Generosity, The Equity of Generosity. So let's get our Bibles out, please. Get your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. There's one in the pew, and it's page 968. We are going to be again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to be patient for you to get there and ask you to keep it open because we'll refer to this throughout our time together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pick up at verse 8. And again, if you're using a pew Bible, page 968. 968. All right. Now, as has become customary here, why don't we all stand and we'll read God's word together. I'll take the lead in reading, but I love a chorus of voices when I'm reading scripture, so feel free to read along nice and loud. Here we go again. This is Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, speaking to the Corinthian church. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire it. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little 
had no lack. This is God's word. Please, please be seated. So we're, our topic again is the equity of generosity. You can also substitute that word for the fairness of generosity. And I have four points for you today, and I'm going to give them to you up front. So if you are a note taker, let me give you my first four points. In fact, if you're a note taker, let me see your pen. Just point it at me. Let me see it. Let me see it. Okay, these are wise people, folks. You see, they know, they know a couple of things. First, research shows that retention goes up 10 to 60% when you take notes. Did you know that? 10 to 60%. So they're already 10 to 60% ahead of those who aren't taking notes. The other piece is if the sermon gets really boring, then they can doodle. All right? So hopefully we don't get to that second part. All right. Here are the four points for our message this morning. Number one, we're going to hear from Paul the reason for generous giving, the reason for generous giving. We'll also hear about the readiness for generous giving, the readiness for generous giving. Third, he'll give us a recommendation for generous giving, a recommendation for generous giving. And then finally, he's going to share with us the result and a specific result of generous giving. So those are our four points. Let's get started with point number one, which is the reason for generous giving. We go back to our text, picking up in verse eight, and notice that Paul starts first with what is not a reason for generous giving. Notice he says, I say this not as a command, not as a command, This is so important because we should never be commanded, manipulated, shamed, or forced to be generous. We should never be commanded, influenced. It should always be free will. It should always come from the heart of the giver. And Paul is drawing on that here. As we see in verse 8, remember, he's talking about the Macedonian church. Remember, they had very little means and yet had tremendous earnestness. That's what he's referring to, to still be generous. And he's saying, prove by by the earnestness of others, meaning their generosity, that your love is also genuine. Now, the term love that he uses there is the term agape, The Greek term, agape. Nod your head at me if that sounds familiar. You've heard that before, agape. Thank you. Now, agape love is the type of love that we share with everyone around us. There are all sorts of different types of love in Greek. This is the one that's about um, one another love, if you will. In fact, C.S. Lewis liked to call it gift love because it's about sharing and being generous with others. And so Paul is saying here, Corinthians, who had stalled in their giving that they had committed to, he said, give so that your love is also genuine, like the Macedonian church who clearly has a genuine love because they're giving even when they have very little. Now, we all know that when we have the Spirit, that it ultimately bears fruit, right? And, and I love that we have children in with us today because they would know the fruit of the Spirit. Kids, help me out with this. 
as Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, read it aloud, kids, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and these last two, it's my fault they're not on the slide, gentleness and self-control. Now, what does that have to do with generosity? Well, it has a lot to do with generosity because if I'm bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, for example, if I'm, exp- if I'm exhibiting kindness, well, that's probably going to lead to being generous and generosity, right? If I have patience in my life, maybe I could be patient to buy that thing that I want now and forego it to be helpful and generous to somebody else. That's patience. But what if these fruits are not in my life? What if, for example, I don't have goodness in my life and I'm not exhibiting goodness? Well, I'm probably not going to be very generous, am I? What about a lack of self-control? If I have, every time I have 20 bucks in my pocket, I use it to buy smokes or alcohol or whatever the case may be, that self-control or lack thereof is probably not going to allow me to be generous. So my point here is this, that the act of generous giving puts all of our fruit on display. If we have the fruit of the Spirit, being generous absolutely shows to the world that we have the fruit. You know the song, sing it with me. The sign to the rest of the world, they will know we are Christians for our... Thank you, thank you, Jessica, someone who can actually sing. Yes, by our love, by our love. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's pointing to the example of the Macedonian church, clearly genuine love, exhibiting the fruit because they gave even when they had very little. They were a generous role model. Do you have generous role models in your life when it comes to being generous? Do you have, role, do you have people in your life who show you what generosity looks like? I, I was so fortunate to have an uncle growing up, my Uncle Sam, um, and, and Uncle Sam was extremely generous, and I, I just got to watch him be generous with other people, and he showed me what that looked like. That's so important. I hope you have those people in your life. Now, Paul doesn't stop there, though. It's not just about um, copying others or following role models, uh, but it's the real reason we should be generous. And that's the reason that we saw by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace, the gift of grace, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now Paul refers to an incredible and profound truth here. And in order for us to really understand the context of why he says this very theological thing here is to understand the type of riches and poverty he's speaking about. Now, I'll give you a hint. It's not about earthly wealth or material poverty. That's not what he's talking about here when it comes to Jesus. So let's start with, as he says, Christ that though he was rich, Christ was rich. Well, how was he rich? Well, he was the eternal God. He was the eternal God. 
Jesus said himself that before Abraham was born, I am. He said in John 17, 5, restore me to the glory I had with you, the Father, before the world began. That was his richness. In John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. He was one with the Father. I can't think of being more rich than that. Paul later in Colossians 1 said that Jesus was the premier one. He was the supreme one. He was above all others and is called in the image or the representation of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he is the express image of God. Colossians 2.9, in him dwells all the fullness of the deity. He was fully human and fully God. And yet, as we read back in verse 9, for our sake, he became poor. For our sake, he became poor. Now, let's be real clear here. This poverty that we're talking about, this is not about being born in a manger. It's not that type of poor. But the type of poor that he took on willingly was the incarnation itself. That's how a rich, eternal God becomes poor. When he was born of a woman, Galatians 4.4, when he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, like us, Romans 8.3, when he had to come to the cross and face it, Colossians 1.20, when he needed to descend from David, David himself, when the word became flesh, John 1.14, Listen to this. When he was made a little lower than the angels, Hebrews 2, 7, manifest in flesh like us, Timothy tells us in 3, 16, that was his poverty. That was his poverty. He laid aside his free exercise of all of his prerogatives, which he had, and he left being face-to-face with the Father. Perhaps no better passage explains this than Philippians in chapter 2. You'll see it up on the screen. Paul says to the Philippians, he said, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, talking about Jesus, though he was born, though he was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, that's what Paul has in mind when he says he was rich, he became poor, not material wealth or poverty. So the eternal God, rich, becomes poor, humbles himself, killed after becoming flesh, executed on the cross, that's his poverty Although free and sovereign over all creation and all powers of the universe, he came under those powers and tasted the fullness, the fullness of their thrust even to the cross. And for our sake, he did it. For our sake, he did it. So friends, when we clutch our possessions and we don't share generously, we're not following this incredible example that our Savior laid out for us. That's the reason for generosity. But then it says why, Paul shares with us why he did that. He said, yet for your sake, so that you, 
by his poverty might become rich. So the purpose was clear. He became poor so that we could be rich. To make poor sinners like us rich. Materially rich? No. Spiritually rich? Yes. Eternally rich? Yes. See, we're rich in salvation and forgiveness and joy and light and glory, rich in majesty, rich in honor as he was. We are so rich that we are called joint heirs with Christ. Think about that for a second. That is richness. We're promised an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefilable, and it doesn't fade away. And it's waiting for us in heaven. Think about that, friends. Paul, to these same Corinthians in his first letter, said this to them. He said, as, a t- as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So he's talking about their salvation. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he returns, we are guiltless and we share in his riches. Friends, because of him, we are rich. And we are as rich as he is rich. And we were really poor. We were really poor, but thanks to Jesus for that self-imposed poverty because of God's love for us. I'm gonna gonna pause for a second and just say that I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know what brought you here today. Some of you here today are still poor in spirit. Is today the day? Is today the day that you'll call on him and share in those riches? I hope it is. Whether it's where you're seated right now or later on as you reflect upon this. He is ready for you. He is ready for you. Speaking of being ready, point number two, the equity of generous giving is the readiness for generous giving, the readiness for generous giving. We pick back up in verses 10 through 11 now. So Paul takes a step away from the theological, as he just shared in that last verse, And he moves back to the practical. So if anybody's been in mental Bermuda for the last five to seven minutes, I'm going to invite you to come back, leave the beach, and join with me here because this gets really practical. So it seems that the church in Corinth had stalled their commitment of generosity. Now, this could be for many reasons. We really don't know the exact reasons, but we know human nature, right? First of all, Paul had not been with them for a period of time. If he's not there to exhort them and hold them accountable, maybe they just kind of fell out of the habit. Um, Also, we know that there were uh, people who had false teachers who had moved into that church and making accusations about Paul. So sometimes that affects people's giving and generosity if they don't believe in the person or their leadership. In fact, uh, oftentimes nothing erodes generosity like uh, a lack of credibility in leadership. So maybe there was some questioning there. We don't know, but we know this, that when Paul comes back in verse 10, he says, and in this matter, meaning the commitment that you made and you all stopped giving to, I give my judgment. He says, I give my judgment. You see, Paul knew them, he cared for them, and he was direct with them. He was direct with them. Now, do you have these people in your life, by the way? They, they care about you, but they're not overly impressed with you. 
and so they're willing to be direct with you, those are really good people to have in your life, like Paul, because they'll speak truth to you like he's doing now. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, this benefits you. This benefits you. You see, because of some of the accusations that were going around by those false teachers, Paul wanted to make sure that they understood that his direction, his exhortation was for their benefit, not to somehow um, make his character sound again. That's not what this is about. He's pointing it out for them. And he's reminding them of their readiness. Verse 11, he says, finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring to do it will be matched by your completion to do it. He wants them to finish what they started. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about, um, I think about things I want to do, especially if they're good things, and I don't always follow through or take action with those. Can anybody relate to that? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you can relate to that. You see thoughts and intentions without actions. We call that imagination. And what Paul's saying here is your readiness is there. Your desire is there. You started this, so finish it. Finish what you started. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I've committed to something uh, out of generosity or I've begun something and I don't finish it, it just feels awful. It's some, in, fact, in fact, some of my biggest regrets in life that I can think back over you know, the 50 plus years that I've been here are when I've done that, when I've started a generous act and I haven't followed through with it. And Paul doesn't want them to experience that. He wants them to experience the joy of following through. Then he goes on to say this in, in, verse, um, in verse 12. He says, for it is, he says, it's acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what he doesn't have. So this is point number three. Point number three, the recommendation for generous giving. This is such an important point for all of us. It translates so well to our current culture. You know, too often people think that it's the amount of the generosity versus the heart of the generosity. And what Paul is saying here is that whether you have very little or a lot, Free will gifts from a generous heart of what you do have are acceptable to God. They're acceptable to God. Now, I, again, I don't know everyone in here, and I'm going to imagine on the economic spectrum, there's probably a range of who has much and who has less. And Paul as he's saying to the Corinthians who had much, is making sure, though, that all of us, wherever we are in that spectrum, knows that whatever we give according to what we have, it's acceptable to God. That's really important. And then with his recommendation, he goes even further into the practical. Notice he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burden. So if there's someone in here who has a tremendous amount of wealth and gives that all away to somebody who doesn't so that their life is eased, but now 
they're in poverty. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, based on your abundance at this present time, Corinthians, which is supplied by God, it should supply their need. And this is the first century church in Jerusalem. Remember, extensive persecution they were facing. It obviously was affecting them economically as well. And he's saying, Corinthians, out of your abundance, you can supply their need. But then look what he says next, back in in verse 14 here. So that your abundance, so that, I'm sorry, so that their abundance may supply your need. Think about that for a second. But wait a minute. They have need. They have an, yes, their abundance of need supplies you, the Corinthians, need to be generous and show that your love is genuine. Do you see how that works? It's amazing. It's, it's basically a win, win, win. Think about this with me. When we're generous, we help others. We also get to show our love is genuine and experience the true joy of generosity. That's a win. And the most important win of all is all the glory goes to God when we do that. It's a tremendous, tremendous truth. And Paul doesn't want them to miss out on that. So lastly, my fourth point of the day is the result for generous giving. What's the result of generous giving? And, and Paul in verse 15, um, well, let me just read it for you and see what your reaction is. Paul says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, the first time I read that, it, it appears to be a bit of a riddle, doesn't it? It has kind of a, a, a riddle-like feel to it. But for those of you who have Bibles that have references in it or maybe a footnote in that particular verse, you'll quickly find out that Paul is quoting, thus he says, as it is written, a verse in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. So let's take a quick look at that together. It'll be up on the screen for you. Paul said, in Exodus, it says, but when they measured it with an omer, and I'll tell you what it and an omer is in just a moment, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now, many of you who are familiar with the Old Testament are already starting to know what we're talking about here and that this is a reference of God's provision of manna in the desert for the Israelites after they had left Egypt. So after bondage in Egypt and they were in the wilderness, they were hungry and God provided for them in what is now called manna. Now this manna was a very fine dew-like material that would basically just show up in the mornings. So it wasn't hunks of bread that you could just walk and, you know, pick up off the ground and there was your bread for the day. You actually had to do a little bit of work for it. So since it's a family service and we have families here and children here, I want to actually illustrate this for you. So can I have my friends come up that, that I asked uh, prior? I'm going to have, we're going to have Samberry and Ryeberry and Oliveberry. So they're part of the same nuclear family. And then we also have Laura Berry with us, who is Sam's mother, also grandmother. So here we go. Now, I want you to imagine that, you know, in, in the times of the Israelites wandering in the desert, it would not have been uncommon that they would have been staying in a tent together, a large tent or whatever the case may be, and they're to serve one another. So 
the manna would show up in the morning and they would all go out and collect the manna. So here, Rye would get this little bowl right here and we would give Dad the biggest bowl and then probably give Olive this bowl and then we would give Grandma slash Mom that bowl. Now, this, this manna wasn't available for very long. We read in Exodus that once the sun got hot, it disappeared. So, and, and like I said, it wasn't that easy to gather. In fact, if you can imagine little pieces of almost like hominy or large seeds, that's basically what they were like. So it took some effort to gather them. Now, just by way of looking at the physical capabilities here, would it be fair to say that Samuel probably would gather the most? What do you think? Now, I don't know if I'd bet against grandma slash mom, but I think Samuel would probably get the most. And then, you know, Laura would certainly get her due. Olive, Olive could gather a lot. And then Rye, being small, could probably only gather a little. But when they would go back to the tent, as we read on, it says they all had what they needed. And that's because Samuel didn't keep everything he gathered. He shared it with the rest of the family. And so as God provided every day, much like he provides for us every day, and they worked to gather it, then they would share it with one another. And that's the point of what Paul is trying to share it with us today. Thank you, Berries. Let's give them a round of applause for coming up here. So Paul uses this illustration to help them understand that much like the Israelites in the Old Testament and the fairness and generous sharing across the family there, that we as a church family, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, should share with one another in the same way. So he uses that beautiful illustration of sharing and the result of being generous with others. So let's talk about an application before we leave here today. If, if you continue to be moved through this series like I am about ways to express your generosity, I want to point to something that's available to us here at Cornerstone to consider, and that is our Benevolence Fund, our Benevolence Fund. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Benevolence Fund, this is a fund that's above and beyond our normal giving. It actually falls outside of the church budget. It's literally funded through the benevolence or the kindness, generosity of our congregation. You might recall our Christmas Eve service, that entire collection went into benevolence. Now, this benevolence fund is, is available to be shared with members of our congregation who might be struggling or having needs and need help. And uh, what, what do some of those needs look like? Well, sometimes a, a, a death in the family occurs and they need help with funeral costs. Or maybe there's an un, unexpected car situation where there's a repair and they need some new tires. They weren't prepared for that. The Benevolence Fund is an opportunity for us to share with one another through that fund. And, and it's the oversight of the Benevolence Fund is a committee of six church members. So it's a committee of our peers. Two of them are deacons. And they accept requests as they come in discreetly for the type of help that I just shared with you. Now, that committee exhibits tremendous stewardship. So they don't just hand out resources to whoever needs them. Um, in fact, what they do is they discreetly work with the requester to pray with them, to understand the need and how that need can be helped 
both in the near term and the short term, and follow, come alongside them over time. So when we give to the Benevolence Fund, we can know that it is helping those who are in our midst, and it's loving them with more than just our resources. It's loving them with our genuine care and commitment to them. So if you're so moved to share with others in our congregation through the Benevolence Fund, let me just tell you really simply how you can do that. Um, If you write a check, you just put Benevolence on the memo line. If you wanted to give cash, put it in an envelope and write Benevolence on it. If you give online, you would just put Benevolence in the text box. So my challenge to all of us as we think about our generosity and growing in generosity, especially the equity of generous giving, know that you have something available to you here that shares across the family of believers here at Cornerstone. Consider taking one of those envelopes with you that's in the back of your pews. Pray about it this week. If God moves you to to give in that way, it's a great way to do it. So as we close here, I'll share with you one more One more thing that Paul said to the church in Galatia. And you'll see it on the screen here. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Corinthians, don't stop doing good. We will reap. So that when we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I hope that you leave today with a new resolve. I'll add a fifth R there for generous giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Paul's very practical outline of the equity for generous giving and how It's a a display of our genuine love. He gives us practical ways to do it so that we can share with one another. And the result is obvious, Lord. And when we do it, may it ultimately give you the glory to know that anything that has been provided to us that we then share was yours to begin with and that by sharing it, we're bringing you that glory. So, Father, thank you for the ultimate generosity of your son Jesus, who, as we learn, was rich, became poor, so that we might be rich. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen.